Amen. All right, so good to be here this morning. Can we give God praise for everything he's doing? I just believe he's doing some great things in this house. I'm telling you guys, like last week, uh, when I started talking about the youth group, I had no idea that all this was going to come together. And then on Tuesday night, Derek calls me after Chi Alpha at like 10.45 p.m., which is past my bedtime, and uh, says, hey, I got some students who want to lead a youth group. I'm like, let's go for it. That's the way I want to be, right? I just want to go for it. If God's opening a door, uh, let's go for it, right? So if you want to meet those youth leaders, if you have kids and you're like, hey, I'm not sure about those guys. They look kind of strange. Talk to them after service. They'll be in the lobby. Uh, we vetted them. They are Chi Alpha leaders. They are solid. They have great character and integrity, and your kids will be in good hands. So go ahead and meet them. You'll be very impressed, I think, by all three of them. So yeah, can we give them one more clap for doing that? I'm just happy that they're doing that. Yeah, so as I said, my bedtime is like 10 o'clock, and last night I was up till 3.30 with Abram. So that was fun. And I've gotten two hours of sleep, so bear with me, okay? We'll see how this goes this morning. I believe that God has something for us, but bear with me, okay? All right, so this last couple weeks have just been amazing, right? God has been moving in our midst. We've seen new people come into our community. I've been getting messages on Facebook from people watching online, like people who I would not expect to reach. We're reaching people online. So I used to be someone who was very opposed to online church because I like people being here. Like, I like it when you're here, okay? But honestly, we're reaching way far beyond the Cedar Valley because of our online presence. So I'm excited about that. So if you're watching online, thank you for watching. We're glad you're here. But, but God is doing something. I've seen you know, people who haven't been in church coming back to church. We've seen people who have never been in church coming to church, people being encouraged and restored. Like, like God is on the move. He's doing something amazing. And I think that it's so important for this to be happening right now in 2020 because 2020, I don't know if you know, but it's been a tough year for our world, right? And I believe that, that seeing new life happen all around us is what we need in this moment. So I'm so thankful to God that he's called us to plant this church in 2020 to be a signal that there is a resurrection coming at the end of the age, which we're talking about today, and Jesus is going to make all things new, right? Even in the midst of pain and suffering and death and destruction, uh, Jesus is going to make all things new at the end. He is on a mission to restore this world. And we're seeing like a little bit of a signal of that through this church right now, through seeing the new life come up all around us. So I'm so grateful to, to be a part of this church and, and to see God doing what he's doing. So I just want to say, too, that our dream for you when you come to this church is really twofold. Like, the first thing is that you would feel welcome, okay? So if you come in here and you don't feel welcome, talk to me about it, okay? Because we'll make you feel welcome next time, all right? Because we want you to feel warmly welcomed and encouraged. That's why we have greeters. That's why we want to uh, talk to you, not ignore you. Like, I don't want to be one of those pastors who sees you and then runs out the back door and, like, I don't really want to talk to you, right? Instead, I want to have an encouraging, welcoming, and warm environment. But the second thing is we want you to meet with God, okay? So I pray that every time you come into this house that you would encounter the true presence of Jesus, and I think that's already been happening uh, today, but I pray that it would happen through the preaching of this word as well. All right, so how many in here have experienced death, pain, or suffering in your life? Okay, so there's a few of us who are doing well. But if you haven't experienced this, you will at some point in life. It's just one of the many hard realities of life. A couple weeks ago, I told the story of how God did a miracle, and he helped Emily and I get pregnant with uh, baby Jane. And I won't rehash all the details. You can watch it online if you want. But just to briefly recap, we prayed for about a year to get pregnant, and then we got pregnant. And then a week later, we miscarried that uh, first child. And then we had to pray for six more months to get pregnant again. And then God gave us Jane. And one piece of that journey that I didn't share much about uh, the last time I talked about it was that six months in between the first pregnancy and the second pregnancy. I can remember finding out that Emily was going to miscarry like it was yesterday. Okay, I, I just got home from work. It was like 5 o'clock. I pulled into the garage, and my phone rang. And Emily 
you know, was having a tough time talking and told me what was going on, that she was going to miscarry. So I went into the bedroom. I found her on the bed, and I just sat with her and held her, and I knew I needed to be strong in that moment. So I wasn't crying. I wasn't really grieving yet. I was just trying to be strong. A few minutes later, I called my dad, probably about 30 minutes later, called my dad. And my dad is someone who's supposed to be stronger than me, right? Like your dad is supposed to be stronger than you. And he's also supposed to sympathize with you. So, you know, being in that space and calling my dad led me to start really like breaking down because it was a safe place. It was someone who understood and felt all the same pain I was feeling because it was his grandchild, uh, but also someone who's supposed to be strong. So I felt safe in that moment. I began uh, to break down, and that moment was really healing for me. And it was strangely beautiful, like over the following days and weeks, as our family and friends came around us and encouraged us. I know people sent flowers to Emily's work the next day. And slowly but surely, we kind of got back into the rhythm of life. And one of the hard but comforting parts of that journey was the next day after, the, after we found out about the miscarriage, I had to prepare a sermon on John 11, which is the story of Lazarus being, or being raised up from the dead. Okay, so I had planned on preaching this passage long before. I planned my sermons about six months before I actually preached them. And I had to actually start putting it together. And that story is one of the most encouraging stories in the Bible when it comes to death. Because it shows that Jesus, he reigns over death and he can raise people up from the dead. It tells us that Jesus is going to have the victory as we see a guy named Lazarus go into a tomb for four days. And he comes back up out of it four days later and has life in his body because Jesus spoke over his life. And, and that was a very encouraging thing for me to prepare that message and to preach it the following week. I just believe it was by God's providence that I preached that passage the next week after the miscarriage. And today I'm preaching that passage again. It's the second time I've preached it. It's a different sermon, but, but same text. And, and uh, yeah, so you know, preparing that text really helped me to know that, that, that death does not have the final word in life. Like some of you this morning, you come in here and you're feeling really weighed down. You're feeling the weight of sin and death and suffering. But that story of Lazarus tells us that death does not have the final word. Jesus is Lord. He is king and he is over death. The story tells us that there's resurrection life available in Jesus. And, and when I say resurrection life, which I'll say often today, I'm talking about the fact that uh, when we put our faith in Jesus, we can live a life of victory over sin, of victory over death, and we can experience an ultimate victory over over death in the next life when Jesus raises us all up. It doesn't mean everything will be perfect. It doesn't mean we won't experience suffering, but it does mean that God can intervene in our dark situations and turn them around, and it means that if he doesn't turn around in this life, he will in the next when he restores all things. And throughout that six-month journey, that six-month uh, journey, I kept going back to basic truths about this, the fact that, that Jesus is over death. There were times where I just wanted to fall apart. I mean, the waiting was one of the difficult things because we got pregnant and then we had to wait again. After a whole year of waiting, we had to wait longer. And I kept going back to these basic truths about Jesus. The truth that, that Jesus is with me in my pain. Jesus is with me in my pain. The truth that, that there is resurrection life available to me now and resurrection life available to my baby as God's going to raise that baby up on the last day. Uh, when there's times where uh, the waiting felt like agony, I would remind myself that Jesus is waiting with me. He's with me. He's next to me in the waiting. He can bring life to Emily's womb. I had to remind myself of basic things like God is with me. God is for me. God is good. God is good. That's one thing I have to tell myself all the time. As we see suffering and pain in our world, even in the midst of suffering and pain, God is good. So if that's all you get this morning, you got your message. God is good, and he's for you. And God is love. God loves us. And, and then finally, when our prayers were finally answered six months later and we had Jane, I saw the truth of these statements in the flesh. 
The truths that I told myself throughout the journey had become flesh and bone in Jane. Jane means gift from God. That's what her name means. And she's our reminder that God loves to give good things to his children. He doesn't intend evil for our lives. She is our reminder that God is for us, that he is good, that he is victorious over death, that he can take evil and turn around for good. And she is our reminder that death doesn't have the final word. Foretaste of the coming resurrection and eternal life with God are available here and now. I still don't understand why we lost the first baby, and I don't understand all the reasons why we face suffering. If you want to get an answer for that, I don't have it for you. And some people aren't as fortunate as we were to have a redemptive conclusion in this life like we got to have in that journey. You know, some of us won't get a redemptive conclusion to our suffering until the next. At the same time, I still know that, that God is good. Even in the midst of the fact that I don't understand all the pain and the death, I know that God is good. I know that he loves to give life. It's intrinsic to his character, and I know that he is love. So all of us in the room, or in this room and online this morning, have faced suffering and death in some shape or form. If not physical suffering, we've experienced spiritual uh, suffering with our sin. Even the mildest sickness is a reminder of death's grip on our world. It's a reminder that this world is not as it should be. Every time we sin, every time we act in ways we don't want to, it's a re- it's a reminder that this world is not as it should be. And the current crisis we're in, the coronavirus, if you've heard of it, is a reminder that death is always knocking on the door and we cannot control everything. We cannot minimize every risk in this world. We don't have the capacity to insulate ourselves from suffering. It doesn't matter how hard we try. And there's some here, there's some watching who recently you have faced the traumatic death of a loved one. There's some in this room, I think, that have faced the traumatic death of a loved one probably recently. And you're struggling to see that God is a God of life, that God is good. There's some here who are struggling financially. Your financial picture is upside down, and you don't know how God's going to provide. You're struggling to see God as a provider. There's some here who are maybe praying for a gift of a baby, and it's not happening. And you wonder if God is good. If God would withhold that from you, is he still good? And there's others who are facing spiritual death right now. If you're honest, you are dead spiritually. So no, so no matter where you're at this morning, I believe that Jesus wants to speak to you. I believe that Jesus wants to breathe life into this room and over your dead situation this morning. I believe that. I believe he's a God of life. He wants you to know that this morning. Not just know it in your head, but know it in your heart. That's what will get you through the times of suffering, to know that God is on my side. Death is a product of our sin, but God is a God of life. In the midst of a world that comes face to face with death every day, we can experience experience resurrection life through Jesus Christ. So this morning we're continuing our series, Come Alive. And Come Alive is a, a sermon series all about the fact that, that God loves to bring life, that he loves to, or to wake us up from our spiritual apathy. He loves to wake us up from indifference towards him and towards other people and wake us up to his purposes and to his dreams for our lives. And, and we're doing this by discussing different gifts that God gives us. So last week we talked about forgiveness. So if you need to experience forgiveness in this house and you didn't hear the sermon last week, I encourage you to listen to it. But tonight what we're going to talk about is the resurrection and how Jesus can bring resurrection life, even in the midst of a world of death. And we can experience this, this resurrection life spiritually when we come to faith in Christ. And we can see signals of the resurrection life to come in the next life, in this life, when he kind of restores things back to order in a moment, or he turns something around. We can see foretaste of the coming resurrection. We're going to talk about that this morning. So before we do, I want to pray for us.
Okay, so God, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person here. I just believe, God, that you have brought every person here by your providence. I believe every person who's listening this morning needs to hear this message. They need to hear that you are a God of life. So God, I pray that you would speak that to us, not just in our brains or our minds, but speak it to our hearts this morning. Make it real to us. Holy Spirit, we need an encounter with you. We don't need to learn more uh, truths. God, instead, we just need an encounter with you where you make the truths real to our hearts. So God, I, I pray that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to John chapter 11. The Gospel of John, which we're going to look at today, is one of the four Gospels, which the Gospels are just the stories of Jesus' life and ministry. It's the stories of what Jesus did here on earth. And, and the other three Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you get to John. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. And the Gospel of John specifically records some incredible moments that, or some incredible miracles that Jesus performs and these miracles are meant to show that Jesus is victorious over death, sin, hell, and the grave. In John 11, we read the most amazing miracle that happens in the Gospels when Jesus raises a dead man named Lazarus. In the opening verses, we see that, that two sisters, Mary and Martha, whom Jesus was good friends with, had asked Jesus to come and to heal their brother Lazarus. But Jesus took his time. He didn't come quickly enough, so Lazarus died. And that's where we pick it up in verse 11. Let's read verses, verses 11 through 19. <clears throat> it says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, so they thought he was just taking a nap. But Jesus is like, no, he's dead. But they thought that he might be taking rest and sleep. So, so then Jesus told them plain, or plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go up to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, he said, let us also go that we may die with him. And now when Jesus came, he found that, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, and Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. Okay, so first point this morning, and this will be a huge like, learning moment for you, death is a normal part of our human experience. You're like, wow, thank you, Pastor Daniel. Wow, you're really, really smart. So, so Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. Okay, this shows us that not even those who are closest to Jesus can escape the effects of sin and death in this life. Jesus does not insulate his friends from suffering. He does not insulate his followers from suffering. It's a possibility and it's a certainty for all of us as long as we're living in this world. And we do see a sign of hope in verse 15 when Jesus says that he was glad that he was not there so that they might believe. See, Jesus was planning to do a miracle. In fact, he loved Lazarus and his sister so much that he allowed him to die so that he could show his glory in front of them. He could show his power to them. He was planning to take something bad and turn around for good. This tells us that, that with Jesus, a miracle is always possible. It doesn't matter how dark your situation, a miracle is possible. So by the time he got there, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. This shows us that even when your situation seems absolutely like no way impossible that God turns us around, it's possible. Four days he was dead. That was a stinky dude in that tomb. And Jesus was still going to raise him up. But the point I want to establish at this point in our text is that despite the possibilities of a miracle, despite the possibilities of victory over sin and death, in this life we will face death and suffering. There's no way around it. Even the giants of the faith in the early church, like Paul and Peter, they died gruesome deaths. They suffered great 
persecution and great pain in this life. Even like the most spiritual people face suffering. So no, so no matter how much you love Jesus or how much faith you have, I'm just going to tell you, you will face death and suffering. And unless Jesus returns before we die, we will all die at some point. Like we can't be, inter- we can't be eternally healed until the next life. And so if you're here this morning and you've been facing suffering, know that you are in good company. You can't be holy or good enough to escape it. It has nothing to do with what you have done or haven't done, but it's just the reality of living in this world. We all will experience this. We all experience the physical effects of death. Our bodies don't work the way we want them to. We experience physical sicknesses. Our minds don't work the way we, the way we want them to, and we experience mental sickness. We struggle emotionally. We do things that uh, we don't want to do. We face relational and financial hardship, and the list goes on. And not only personally do we face these effects, but we see our loved ones go through it. We see those around us who we care about go through sickness and death. And, and there's people who are gone far too quickly. People who seem healthy, who get in an accident or they get cancer all of a sudden and then they die. I can't imagine what we've all faced in this room. I know because we are all humans. We have all faced some pretty grievous things, especially as a whole. If we took every single terrible thing we've all experienced, it would be so overwhelming. It would be such a heavy burden to bear. And not only do we face physical death, we face spiritual death. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you are spiritually dead. And we talked about this last week, so that's your encouraging word this morning. You are dead if you don't know Jesus. <laughs> Ephesians 2.1, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so it might be a little feisty. All right, Ephesians 2.1. It says, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins. So when you are in your sins, when you don't know Christ, you are dead spiritually. You need Jesus to do a rescue operation on your heart. You need him to wake you up spiritually. It's not about you cleaning up your life. It's not about you behaving. It's not about you being religious. It's about Jesus breathing over your heart and bringing it to life. If you don't know Jesus, he wants to do that this morning. I believe that. I believe God wants to raise up some hearts in this, in this room and online this morning. It's not only people who don't know Jesus, though, that face the effects of spiritual death. Even if you're a Christian, you can experience some of these effects of, of spiritual decay and spiritual death. If you're not active in your relationship with Jesus, if you're not just leaning into him every day and spending time with him and, and obeying him, you will decay spiritually. You'll still be saved, certainly, but, but you will decay. You won't experience the abundant life that Jesus has for you, spiritually speaking. The natural tendency of living in this world is if you're not being active in your faith, if you're not drawing closer to Jesus, you will drift from him. You're not just going to magically get closer to him. You're going to drift. And that's why we encourage Bible reading, daily Bible reading. That's why we encourage prayer. That's why we want you to be in church because we believe when you come here, it's a way to work back against the current and draw closer to Jesus. I don't want to go down the current of this world. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to work against it. And we want to help you to do that too. All death is a result of sin. Spiritual death, physical death, all of it's a result of sin. In the beginning, God created everything good and perfect, but the first humans, Adam and Eve, they chose God's stuff over God himself. They chose God's stuff over God himself. They chose to eat of the tree or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and with that, they invited sin into the world. But here's the thing, we're still doing that today. We're still choosing God's stuff over God himself. So if you're in this room, And even if you're a Christian and you feel like, wow, I'm struggling spiritually, it might be because you are choosing God's stuff over God himself. Sin always invites death and decay. So if you're choosing your career over God, that's inviting death and decay. If you're choosing your family over God, that's inviting death and decay. If you're choosing money over God, that's inviting death and decay. I could go on and on and on, but but sin is choosing 
things over God. It's, it's making good things that God gives us to enjoy into ultimate things and making them the God of our lives. If you want to be healthy spiritually, you have to put Jesus first. You have to be diligent to work against the current of sin and death. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says this. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil in sin, he lurks at the door to devour us. And we must be sober-minded. We must be watchful. We must be actively walking with Jesus if we want to escape this. I don't think I need to convince you that our world is full of death, especially in 2020. You know, not only have we faced the coronavirus, but, but two heroes in American culture have died. As you think about Kobe Bryant and Chadwick, or Chadwick Boseman, both of them, healthy guys. Like, like a, these guys are like men's men. Like, wow, like Chadwick and Black Panther, like, dude, I wanted to be like him. Like, I worked out right after I watched that. I was like, I got to get home and do some crunches, right? But both of these guys, giants in our world, both of them passed away, one by an accident and one by a health problem. You know, this year is telling us no one is exempt from death. Yeah, but it's not always in big ways like that, though. It's not always through actually, like, having physical death happen. I think about last night, as Abram was keeping us up all night, and actually Jane was, like, angry before she went to bed. I don't know what that was about. But, like, from 5 o'clock to, to, or to 8, she was just, like, so grumpy. And I'm laying in bed at, at you know, 2.30, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to get up in two hours. And I'm thinking, this world is not as it should be. <laughs> Come on, I want to get to sleep, right? I was literally praying for Emily. She was in there with Abram trying. I'm like, God, this is not as it should be. Please help him. And eventually he did fall asleep. I think it was like 2.50 when he fell asleep. But because of sin and death, or because of sin, death is a big part of our reality. We just don't experience life the way it should be. Okay, but this story doesn't just you know, tell us about death. It tells us about Jesus and the fact that he brings life. Let's get to the good stuff. You ready for the good stuff? All right, let's go. Verse 20. All right, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went... And she met him, uh, but Mary remained seated in the house. And, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that, or that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet, he, or yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's the question I think Jesus is asking each of us this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is going to do that? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Okay, second point this morning is this. Jesus gives us hope for life after death. And, and when I say life after death, I'm talking about life after spiritual death. Okay, so spiritual death is how we're all born. So life after that, but also life after physical death. The fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life gives us hope for life after spiritual death and life after physical death. As Jesus talks with Martha, she points to his ability to bring life to dead, or to dead situations. She said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She knew the character of Christ, and she knew that if Jesus was there, he would not have died. And she knew that Jesus is the author of life, that it's in his nature to restore. He certainly could have healed Lazarus. And she had seen Jesus do it so many times before. Whenever Jesus got his hands on situations, people were restored. And we see over and over again in the Gospels that every person that Jesus touched was healed. It's beautiful. Jesus is in the business of restoration. He's in the business of resurrecting dead hearts and dead lives. But sadly for Martha, Jesus had not gotten there in time. But despite this, she still doesn't lose hope. And in verse 22, she says, I know that, that God will give you whatever you ask for. And she knew that Jesus could even reverse the worst situations. Like even after they seem final. 
And Jesus tells her that in this situation, he certainly would do that. Her brother would rise again. But, but the thing is, Martha didn't actually think that Jesus was saying that he would do it in this life. Yeah. You see, she thought that, that Jesus was talking about the resurrection on the last day. Even before Jesus' resurrection, Martha had an understanding of the fact that on the last day, God would raise up everyone to be judged. And those who put faith in him would be saved. Those who don't would, would be cast away from him. But the thing she didn't know, she didn't know that Jesus was the arrival of that promise. He was the Messiah that, that would make the resurrection possible. He was bringing it here and now. He was the Messiah who would make eternal life with God available. And Jesus says, he says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what we need to hear this morning. Jesus is the resurrection, he is the life. He will defeat death. And if you believe in him, then you'll never die, but you will have fellowship with God forever. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will receive resurrection life. You will receive eternal life. Even if you face physical death in this life, you will be with him forever in eternity. Your physical death is going to seem very small in comparison to being with God forever. But not only that, those who, who put their faith in Christ will experience a, a resurrection now, spiritually speaking. Our dead hearts will be woken up and we will get to walk in a newness of life, a newness of life. And we're going to get victory over sin. Our, our broken situations will be restored. We'll step more fully into what God desires for us. And obviously this doesn't always happen. Every situation doesn't work out the way we want it to. But it's what Jesus is in the business of doing. And we'll experience that even more so as we walk with him. Okay, so Romans 6, 4 says this. It says, it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the fullness of life. The coming resurrection of Jesus makes the physical resurrection in the next life possible and a newness of life possible now. And Martha, she had hope for Lazarus in the next life. But little did she know that Jesus was going to raise him up now as a foretaste of what he'll do at the end. He wanted to raise Lazarus up as a vivid, as a vivid, a vivid repre representation, I'm tired, of what he does in our hearts spiritually now. Bear with me. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, when Jesus raises him up, it's a signal to us saying, hey, that can happen for us spiritually. When we seem dead, when we seem like our situation is over, it's broken forever, Jesus can step onto the scene. Mm, new creations in this room. I'm just believing for that this morning. Come on, Jesus wants to make some new creations. He wants to restore some broken situations. The fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life should give us hope that there is hope for life after death. In a world of death, we can, we can walk with a king who is life. If we trust in him, we'll be welcomed into fellowship with him. Okay, let's keep moving though. You know, it's encouraging that in a world of death, we can walk with the God of life. But, but the question is, what do we do when we're experiencing death? Like, like, what's the hope there? Like, how do we get through that? Even if Jesus is God of life, how do we have hope in those moments when the pain is so unbearable? Well, he, he kind of shows us here in verse... 28 verse 30 or through 37 let's keep reading when she had said this then she went and called her sister mary saying in private the teacher is here and is calling for you and when she heard it she rose quickly and went to him and now jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where martha had met him and when the jews who were who were with her in the house consoling her saw mary rise quickly and go out they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there and now when Mary had come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. 
and greatly troubled. Do you know that God is greatly troubled by your sorrows? And he said, where have you laid him? He's kind of angry now. He's like, where's he at? He, like, he's serious, like, like the Greek, like it shows us he's angry at this point. He's like, where the heck is he? Jesus is mad about death. He's mad about sin. He's mad about the pain we're facing. It really ticks him off. All right, let's keep moving. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He's angry, but he's also, he grieves. He has sorrow. He's very emotional about our situation. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Third point this morning is Jesus is with us in our suffering. Okay, so Martha, she kept it together okay. And she found hope in the next life. Martha, like she was pretty easily pleased, but, but Mary here, she didn't do a, as good of a job keeping it together. You know, she falls at Jesus' feet and she mourns the fact that Jesus hadn't been there to heal Lazarus. I think she's almost kind of mad at him. But this time, you know what Jesus does? He doesn't try to cheer her up. He doesn't tell her about the coming resurrection. He doesn't talk about the fact that he is the resurrection and the life and that newness of life is spiritually available. He doesn't even say that he's about to raise Lazarus up to stop the crying. He doesn't even try to get her to be hopeful just yet. He doesn't tell her to, or to get over it. God's not telling you just to get over it. That's not what Jesus does. Instead, he takes the time to just kind of stoop down to her level and to mourn with her. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled. See, Mary's pain, it messed with Jesus. He doesn't try to explain it away. He doesn't give her easy answers. He doesn't give her black and white answers. He doesn't tell Mary that she didn't have enough faith or that she should hold together. Instead, he just feels with her. And the Greek word there for deeply moved, as I was talking about, it means to feel something deeply or strongly. It, it, it suggests that Jesus was moved with profound sorrow and grief at what his friends were experiencing, but at the same time, there was anger in there, as I was, or as I was saying. He was mad about the evil of death. But at the same time, too, there's also another piece of this. There's this awe that's kind of coming through, too, as he knows that God is about to perform the most amazing miracle that he's ever done through Jesus. He, he knows that. He's expecting as well. He is in awe. He's like, okay, it is time. It is time to, to turn this situation around. Jesus was experiencing the full range of human emotions in this moment. And he understands when we go through the same stuff. He's experienced it. It then says again that, that he broke down and wept. He, he joined his friends in their grief. This shows us that heartfelt mourning in the face of death it's not a bad thing, but it's a Jesus-like thing to do. It's like Jesus when you do that. It's like Jesus when the pain of the world messes with you. It should mess with you. If you have compassion in your heart, it should mess with you. You know, one of the things I'm deeply grateful for about our, our journey of losing our first child is the intimacy that I experienced with Jesus. I'm telling you, I've, I've never experienced intimacy like that before that, and I'm not sure if I have since. There was such deep intimacy as I would sit on the ground of our nursery. It's crazy. We're now Abram is at. You know, two, you know, two children later in a couple of years, which just shows how Jesus does things. But as I, I would go in the middle of the night and, and just kneel in that nursery and say, Jesus, like, what are you doing? But I would experience his presence so close in those moments. That kind of anoint, or that kind of intimacy, I think is only available in the midst of suffering and pain. We only get so desperate to draw near to him like that in the midst of those, in the midst of those hard moments. So this passage should be profoundly comforting for those who've experienced loss. Again, he's not telling you to stop mourning. Your mourning doesn't threaten him. It doesn't make him mad. Instead, he wants to be with you. He wants to come down to your level. He's not a far-off God, but he's a God who feels with us. 
And Jesus, and here's the thing too about Jesus, it's not just here that we see, but, but Jesus would experience the greatest suffering of all when he went up on the cross. Because his father, God, turns away from him, even if just for a moment, and he felt all the wrath of God, all the sin and death, he, he, he bore it on himself. So if you think that God doesn't understand what you're going through, he does. Jesus has experienced it all on the cross. On the cross, all the sin, all the pain, all the suffering, it was all poured out on him. He bore it all on himself. He is able to mourn with you and to walk with you and to carry you through those moments. You know, just as I was able to find comfort with my dad on that day, as he is supposed to be stronger than me and as he completely understood what I was going through, as he was feeling the same pain, I believe Jesus wants us to be with him like that, to say, Jesus, you feel it just like I do. You feel the same pain and you're way stronger than me, so you got this. All right, this passage, it doesn't just give us hope that there's life after death. It doesn't just show us that Jesus is, is with us in the suffering, but it shows us that Jesus can do something here and now about our dead situations. Let's finish it out. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And then Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. I told you it was stinky. All right, so Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus, or Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. He is crying out. He says, Lazarus, come out. Again, he was mad. He said, come out. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of death. I'm tired of sin. And the man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind them and let him go. The fourth point, final point is Jesus can give us victory over the effects of sin and death here and now. So finally he gets to the tomb. He's provoked, he's angry, he's sad, he's hopeful about what God's gonna do. And he tells him to take away the stone. He, or there's people saying, hey, this isn't possible. It's stinky in there, but Jesus doesn't care he says this is about the glory of God. And he thanks God for what he's about to do, that God hears his prayer and he shouts it out. He says, Lazarus, come out. And at the sound of Jesus' voice, Lazarus comes walking out. He was dead. There's no breath in his lungs. He comes out after four days. This is a profound moment in the history of the world, guys. At his resurrection, this is a signal that there's a reversal happening in our world. Death will not have the final word. There's a reversal that's about to happen. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am this angry about sin and death, and it's going to get turned around. I am going to defeat it on the cross and through the resurrection when I come back up out of the grave and tell Satan that he's defeated once and for all. He's saying there is a reversal happening. This is, this is a watershed moment in the Bible. It's saying no longer is sin and death going to reign. Instead, Jesus is Lord. He is king over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Even in the darkest moments, Jesus can bring light. Even in the midst of death, Jesus can bring life. Even in the midst of profound brokenness, Jesus can restore. Even in a pit of ash, Jesus can make something beautiful. As we've seen, this is true spiritually speaking as well. You know, when Jesus steps onto the scene of our lives, he brings new life with him. It says in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When you come into faith with Christ, he gives you a brand new heart and a new spirit. He makes you a different person. His life gets inside of you. The spirit of God gets inside of you, and you get a heart of flesh, and you stop living your life according to sinful desires, and instead you start living the life that God has called you to live. In Galatians 5, 24, it says, And those 
who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm getting pumped up. I get like this, like about this time every week. I'm really excited right now. Okay, so Jesus, he doesn't just revive us spiritually though. It's not just about your spiritual life. He cares about your physical life. He can bring restoration to dead situations. He can reverse brokenness in our physical world. He can heal our bodies and he can heal our minds. He can restore broken families and marriages. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. He can restore broken families and marriages. I believe that for this church. I believe that God wants to restore families in this house. I believe God wants to restore marriages in this house. I believe God wants to make something beautiful. He can bring order to your finances. He can provide for your finances. Jesus loves to bring restoration in this life. He doesn't just want to do it in the next. He loves to do it now. And he loves doing this for a number of reasons. The first reason is every time he restores a broken situation, every time he heals a broken body, every time he brings emotional healing, every time he restores a financial situation, he's giving us a taste of of what it's like to be with him forever. He's giving us a taste of the new heavens and new earth, a place where we don't experience pain or sorrow or death. It's a way for him to point to the restoration of all things and to say resurrection life is available. The fact that he was able to raise Lazarus up after four days of no breath in his lungs shows us that even in the most broken situations, there's potential for life and for restoration. But he also does this because he loves to give life. It's part of who he is. That's part of his character. Giving life is a part of what it means to be Jesus. He, he loves to bless. He loves to bless. You need to hear that this morning. Jesus loves to bless you. John 10.10 10. says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to, and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you believe that Jesus wants abundant life for you? Because it says it right here. He wants to give you abundant life. The enemy wants to kill, but Jesus wants to give life. And this, again, I'll say it again. This doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we won't experience suffering. But this means we will have abundant joy in a full life as we walk with Jesus, as we walk closer to his intent. We'll still experience the effects of living in a fallen world, like having to stay up till 3.30 or 2.30 when you have to get up at 4.30. But a full, rich, and joyful life is available to you. Okay, the third reason he loves to do this is he loves to do it because he knows that the reversal of his people's broken situations will be a testimony to a world that needs to hear about him. He knows that when he steps in, or when he steps onto the scene of our lives and changes things around, it's a testimony to people who aren't yet in relationship with him. It says this in verse 14 and 15 of John 11. It says, Then he told them plainly that, that Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, uh, so that you may believe. All right? So when Jesus reverses situations, it's a way for people to believe that he is still working today. It's a way for people to come into faith, or to come to faith in Jesus. People who are alive in a world of death are the greatest testimony to Jesus. That's what he wants for our lives. Again, that doesn't mean everything will be perfect, but it means that you walk with a fullness of life. People need to see Jesus going around and waking people up and restoring people. It's going to draw them to him. So when we gave birth to Jane, it wasn't, well, not we. She gave birth, but I can take credit for it. (laughs) Yeah, I was there. It was scary. All right, so... It was such an incredible testimony to our friends. I'm an open book. I posted stuff on Facebook throughout and brought people in on the journey. And they got to see the lowest of the low. And then they got to see the highest of the high. And it was such a testimony to who God is. God's activity was so evident throughout that journey. In the pain and the suffering and in the restoration that it drew people closer to Jesus. 
and built up their faith. I believe that's what God wants to do. He wants us to walk with him and let him restore our situations. He won't always do it in this life, but at least have faith that he wants to, that it's part of his character, and, and to let our friends watch us as we have faith both in the hard times and in the good times. But for us to experience the, the resurrection life of Jesus now, and for us to become testimonies of the power of God, we, we need to let Jesus be Lord. So that applies for, for coming to salvation, for getting your heart woken up. You need to let Jesus be Lord. That's when you come to faith in Christ. When you say, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That's how you come into faith with Christ. Okay, so we need to make him Lord in that way. But also, if we want Jesus to reverse our broken situations, we need to make him Lord in every area of our lives. Okay, so if you're in this room and you're spiritually dead right now, you need to surrender to Jesus and make him Lord. And he will be faithful to wake you up. If you want Jesus to restore your marriage or to restore your family, you need to let him lead your marriage and your family. You need to let him put it back together. You need to let him be the Lord of your house. It takes a submission to him. It's not going to happen without your will cooperating with him. Instead, we have to submit to him. We have to stop trying to fix it on our own, but instead let him rule. If you want to be healed physically, you must come to Jesus and ask, all right? It doesn't always happen in this life, but you have to at least get out of your seat and go, and well, I'm not saying do it right now. We could sometime, but, but, and ask Jesus and say, hey, I want to be healed. You have to bring him into it. There's no guarantees that Jesus will resurrect your situation. There are times he doesn't do it, and I don't know why. I don't have that answer for you. But I want you to know this morning that this story tells us that he wants to do it, that it's part of his character. He loves to restore. So let me ask you this today. The question is, what does Jesus need to bring life to in your life? What does he need to restore? Because I believe he wants to do it. I believe there's going to be stories of restoration coming out of this church. I believe he wants to do something this morning. So if the worship team would come, uh, the main idea this morning is this. When we encounter the resurrection life of Jesus, he makes us come alive. When we encounter the resurrection life of Jesus, he makes us come alive. I think there's a, there's a bunch of different you know, types of people who are going through different things who have come in here this morning, but I have a few different groups. I just want to kind of try to speak to you here for a second, speak to your situation. I think there's maybe someone who you came in here this morning, and you're a follower of Jesus, but you've been slipping, spiritually speaking. It feels like you're decaying in your faith. You don't have a passion for the Lord like you once did. You're struggling with sin, and you're not walking in freedom. You're walking in bondage. And you feel like you're missing out on what he has for you. This morning, I believe Jesus has a simple message for you. It's this. He wants to come in and make you alive again. He wants to do it. He wants to restore you. He's not holding your sin against you. He's not holding out on you. He wants to restore you. He wants to bring you back to life. But for that to happen, you have to surrender to him. You have to make him Lord. You can't keep trying to live your own life. You have to say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you to step in. It takes a commitment to getting in his presence every day and obeying what he says. If you want to have a restored life, that's what it takes, getting in the presence of Jesus and making him Lord over every single area. I think there's another group in here this morning. I just really feel strongly about this one. I believe that there's people who came in here and you're experiencing pain and suffering right now in this life. Maybe it's not spiritual, but it's more physical. You're seeing the effects of death all around you. You Maybe you're dealing with the loss of a loved one. Or maybe your financial situation's in ruin. Or maybe your family's, you know, just a mess. I don't know what you're going through. But I believe that you need to know that God is with you in the pain. 
He is with you in the pain. He's angry about it. He knows that this world is not as it should be. And you need to know that, that Jesus, he has defeated death. And there is hope for, for a reversal of your situation, whether it be in this life or the next. He will ultimately reverse it, but, but it might not happen in this life, but there's hope for that, and he wants you to believe for it. I believe that in the midst of great moments of pain, when we have faith in those moments, there's no greater testimony. Like, like the testimony is great when God reverses it, but, but, uh, but when we hang with Jesus and stick with him in the midst of the pain, even if he doesn't bring healing, even if he doesn't change the ground, that's the greatest testimony. That is the best testimony. That actually beats a testimony of Lazarus being raised up, saying, I'm still with you, Jesus. I think, I think Martha coming to him and saying, Jesus, I know you're gonna do it. I believe that's a testimony right there. So this morning, maybe your situation is, it's, it's, it's done. Like maybe you lost a loved one long ago and you're still grieving it. I believe you hanging with Jesus and leaning into him and, and trusting him, even in the midst of the mystery and the unknowns, is the greatest testimony that your friends can have. I believe there's so much intimacy available for you. Maybe you think that, that, that God just, he's holding out and you maybe, you know, God abandoned you. That's not what happened. The reality is, is that there's sin and there's death in this world and God allows it to happen. Yes, he allows it, but he doesn't cause it. He's not the causer of it. And he doesn't give us all the answers, but he does offer us intimacy. He does offer us fellowship. And this morning, I just pray that you would kind of return to him this morning and say, Jesus, I'm gonna lean into you. I'm gonna lean into you even in the midst of the unknowns. We don't have to know everything, guys. We don't have to understand every single thing about life. That's not what Jesus asked for. He asked for us to trust him. You know, it says in Isaiah, I believe it's 55, it says, my, it says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I believe there's great comfort in that. We just sometimes need to say, Jesus, your ways are higher than mine. I don't understand. And then lean into him. And finally, there's some people here this morning who you don't have relationship with Jesus. And I believe that you would hear, I pray that you would hear the good news this morning, that in the midst of your deadness, in the midst of your, your sin and your rebellion against God, Jesus wants to wake your heart up. He's not gonna hold your past against you. The thing is with Jesus, there is a forgiveness always available. There's always forgiveness for our past available. And there's always hope for a new future available. All you have to do is come to him. Come to him just like Peter did. When Peter first met Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, Jesus, depart from me. It's not, hey, Jesus, make my life perfect. It's, hey, depart from me, I'm sinful. That's what it takes to come into relationship with Jesus. And I don't have the answers. I can't run my life. I trust you, Jesus. And this morning, I believe that God wants to do that. I believe God wants some of us to let go and to stop trying to run our lives and let him run our lives. And the promise of John 10, 10 is available. It says when Jesus comes, he gives you abundant life. That's available, but you have to trust him. You have to put your faith in him. Okay, so if you don't know Christ, I believe today is your day. I believe today is the day that you wake up spiritually. I believe he wants to do that. So let's stand all across this room. I'm gonna give you two opportunities to respond this morning. The first way is this, we do this every week. I wanna give you a chance to do what Peter did and say, Jesus, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. To say, I can't do my life on my own. I need you, Jesus. I confess that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that, that you're raised from the dead. I believe that, that God wants to bring some hearts uh, to life this morning. So the way I wanna do that, our way of getting on our knees, I just want you to raise your hand to heaven. We're gonna you know, bow our heads and close our eyes all across this room. And I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand to heaven and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. Jesus, I need you to resurrect my heart. So I'm gonna count to three. And then when I do, slip up your hand all across this room. One, two, three, slip them up. See the hand, see the hand, see the hand. See the hand, see the hand, see the hand. 
Tons of hands going up. Are you, go ahead and put them down. He's going to pray a simple prayer of repentance and trust in Jesus. And we're going to trust him to bring our hearts to life. So Jesus, this morning we come to you and we say we can't live up to the standards we set for ourselves. We cannot you know, be like you. We can't do it on our own strength. We need you to forgive us for the ways we've missed it. So this morning, Jesus, we come and we confess with our mouths that you are Lord. We believe in our hearts that, that God raised you from the dead. And we know because of that, you will save us on the last day. You will raise us up on the last day. So Jesus, we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Our one more way to respond. If you're here and you've got a dead situation going on in your life, it could be a family situation. It could be a financial situation. It could be a physical situation, like with your body. It could be anything. If you have a, a broken situation, what I want to do is lift your hand up right now and just begin to pray. You know, pray in your own heart and say, Jesus, I need you to, uh, to restore the situation. Just begin to pray. It's a, it's a way of asking him to come and to step onto the scene like he did with Lazarus. I'm going to pray. Pray for us all across the room that Jesus would restore these situations. So Jesus, I know that people come in here today with different things going on, different broken situations. God, there's people in here who their marriages are in shambles. And Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would restore marriages in this house. Jesus, there's people in here this morning who are experiencing the pain of losing a loved one, someone that, that uh, maybe was gone too soon, or maybe they're just such a great person. It just hurts to not have them anymore. Maybe they lived a long life, but it just hurts so bad. And Jesus, I pray that, that you would bring restoration in that situation by being near to them this morning, God, by showing them that you are with them, even in the midst of death. God, I pray for financial situations. I pray for a reversal of these situations. I pray for provision, God. I pray for provision in this house. Jesus, we trust you. We know that you are a restorer. And this morning, we put all of our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's worship one more time. I'll be back up in a minute.